Hey, dear listeners, today's guest is the incredibly talented and funny Kaylee Cuoco. You probably know Kaylee from a little show called The Big Bang Theory, but you'd recognize her from a million other things. That might not be an exaggeration. She's been acting since she was seven. Her new show on HBO Max, The Flight Attendant, is my new addiction. Kaylee and I have known each other for years, and it's always a delight to catch up. After talking with Kaylee, I'm joined again by world-renowned clinical sexologist, author, and sex coach, Dr. Patty Britton, who, as it turns out, knows a lot about porn, masturbation, and threesomes. As always, thank you so much for your kind reviews and sharing our show with your friends. Please keep sending us your questions and telling us your stories. Just go to unqualified.com and look for the link. Okay, now here's Kaylee. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Hi, babe. Hi, Kaylee. <laughs> it's been so long. I know. Oh my God, how are you? I'm good. It's so good to see your face. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, yeah. You're so sweet. And you're in like an empty cavernous place. I'm in my house. Oh, you have your tree up. I do. I'm in a cavernous corner, but I have a very holly jolly corner on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Kaylee, it was your birthday a few days ago. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And my birthday was on the 29th. Like your- That's right. No. Oh, my God. We always say this because that's my sister's birthday. Yes. <laughs> okay. First of all, how do you guys feel collectively about the date of your birthday? Well, obviously, when we were little, it's just the two of us, we didn't love that our birthdays were close. But now we celebrate together every single year. And then for me, because mine's on the 30th, I have this tradition. I've probably done it for the past 10 years. We always go get a Christmas tree on my birthday. That's like my start off for the holiday is my birthday. Isn't that fun? That's a great tradition. I resented my birthday, although I think it served me well now because I have very low expectations. I always resented it as a kid because it felt like such a dead space. It was after Thanksgiving. Everybody's tired. Yes. I grew up in Washington State. It's inevitably gloomy all of November. So I became kind of numb to any birthday excitement because it just wasn't happening in my space. That does make sense. Yeah. So therefore, like I was already bracing for disappointment with my birthday. I never thought about that. (laughs) Sorry, Katie. Now I hate my birthday. No, I never thought about the the post-Thanksgiving slump actually does make sense. So my husband's birthday is Christmas Day. And so maybe because I feel so bad for him that I don't feel bad for myself. But the best part about him is he doesn't even care. Like, he doesn't look at it that way. He's like, thinks it's so great, doesn't complain. So I think he's worse off, but he's so much kinder than I would ever be. Well, I think that you must get adjusted to not having your birthday be sort of an extravaganza special day for only you. Totally. Like, I brace myself. I mean, I don't anymore. I'm 44. But the New Year's Eve bracing for disappointment. Yes, no choice. <laughs> it's like, you know it's just not going to be that spectacular. It never is. You're going to be looking for your friends. I know. You know, I don't know if there's somebody to kiss, whatever. The whole New Year's Eve debacle. It's almost better that we can't really do that much this year <laughs> because it's never exactly what you want it to be anyways. Totally. Kaylee, I love your show so much. Thank you. Can I confess something? Yes. I didn't want to watch it because I knew I would be jealous. (laughs) You know what I mean? I love the honesty. Hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you're so good. Thanks. You're funny. You're tragic. You have a lot of raw moments. Yeah. Maybe you've covered this territory a lot as you do press. But because we both have worked in multicam and then going to single camera I haven't shot anything single camera for a while now, probably since Overboard. And I remember that being a little bit of like, oh, yeah, this is what this format is like. Longer hours, more time in the trailer. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's quite different, huh? How has it been? What elements do you miss from multicam? I know it's a broad question. Mm Mm-mm. No, I know that I know that question and you and I can relate very very well. I mean, no one knows sitcom better than than you and I. 
which I love. Again, we love that schedule, right? We love that life. Indoor cat, same stage, <laughs> never have to go anywhere new. People <laughs> laugh just... at your dumb jokes. <laughs> like, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I made a joke about that the first few days of shooting Flight Attendant because, like you just said, I was so new to single camera. I've done a little bit, but wow, it's been a long time. And I remember the first, it was we were shooting one of the kind of funnier scenes. And I was like, God, I really miss people just laughing and clapping at every single thing that I say. <laughs> I say, this is everyone so silent, so serious. I was laughing because it just felt so different. But yeah, that was definitely a new experience, especially the first week or two, even just with the cameras. And like, I remember at one point they were like, okay, your pickup tomorrow is going to be 3.50. And I was like, why would we be starting at 3.50 in the afternoon? All right. No clue that they meant 3.50 in the morning. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. What did you just say? Like, it took me <laughs> weeks. Actually, to be honest, and you can probably relate to this. I don't think that you'll ever get used to that. You can prepare, you can be healthy, you can quit the drinking, you can go to bed early. Your body is not supposed to be up and awake and working at 3.50. And then performing at 5 a.m.? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like really performing, like, yeah, that you just don't get used to. You just kind of are on, your second nature is kind of kicking in. And But then I think of like the crew and like they're all there before we get there and they're there when we leave. It's amazing to me how much they work. And we think we work a lot, but they're just like, my God, doing so much more. I remember back to sort of an earlier idea that you were talking about with the crew being audience a bit. I remember when I was doing the first scary movie and it was my first like big anything. And I was convinced I was going to get fired. When I got the part, my college roommate was like, but Anna, you're not funny. And I was like, I fucking know. I know. Oh my God. And I remember one day, maybe four days in, I tentatively asked my hairdresser, I was like, so what did you think about that last take? <laughs> and she said, oh my God, it was great. You didn't oh. touch your hair once. Oh, they're looking at that. <laughs> right. And so that was a moment of realization of like, oh no, the crew is not an audience. Right. And I can't expect them to be paying attention to my performance and giving me any kind of response. You said something interesting. I can't believe a roommate told you you're not funny. I'm so shocked that they said that to you because you're so funny. Kaylee, I think it's so fucking unintentional. Well, that's also wonderful, too. I mean, that's what also makes you so adorable and so likable is you probably don't think you're funny. But that's so interesting because you are so natural. That's your gift, though. That's your soul. My awkwardness? <laughs> uh, yes, me too. I get that a little bit because I also don't think I'm funny at all. I say funny things that people write for me, but I don't think that I'm like naturally funny. But again, I'm awkward and goofy too. And I don't take myself seriously, but I feel like that's kind of you as well. I feel like we're very similar like that. I'm much more comfortable making fun of myself. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's a big one. I get very uncomfortable. I was thinking about this the other day with sarcasm or making fun of other people or comedy tinged in bitterness. It's not my shoe. Mm -hmm. It's not my fit. Same. I do wonder if it's a slightly trickier form of comedy because it has to be very character-based and it has to be finessed with a character's own flaws. And I think that your character in The Flight Attendant manages all of that. Thank you. With so much complexity. Thank you. What are your feelings your personal feelings towards your character? So this started for me three years ago. I'm sure you've heard all this, but I found this book three years ago. And if I could tell you the amount of conversations revolving around the tone of this, which is exactly what you're talking about. So it's like, yes, it's a drama. Yes, it's a thriller. Yes, a terrible thing happens. But we're also being lighthearted and we're laughing and, you know, it's Kaylee playing it. I can't help but bring that kind of quirky, fun side. But it was really tough because the tone was really, really hard to capture. And I remember, because it's my first time producing too and being behind the scenes and really trying to figure out the tone of a project, which was just, I decided to pick the hardest tone of all time for my first producing <laughs> venture. But I remember it, it made me, every single take and every scene that we did, I must have done it 10 different ways because we didn't know, was this going to be the comedy moment? Was this going to be the serious moment? So I just remember thinking, we got to give so many options because I don't know how we're going to edit this. It's not clear yet. And it wasn't clear till really we got in that editing room and started piecing things together. It was not clear at all. 
but it ended up working. It was a very fine line. But again, it was really written in my voice, and I can't do anything too serious without bringing the levity, which, crazy enough, during this wild time that we're in, in 2020, and with all the election stuff, and with COVID, it ended up being what people kind of needed. It just kind of was just weirdly lighthearted, fun with some serious stuff, but fun. And people have really accepted it. They're like, we like this. Completely. I loved the nod to, was it like the 60s or 70s, kind of like old school caper movies? No, you definitely caught that. There is a little bit of a 60s mod, kind of a little Hitchcock, catch me if you can sort of a feel, which I actually feel started in our credits. The credits are so great too. Oh my God. Thank you. We worked on those. I can't even tell you. The team worked on that for so long. It was really important because for me personally, a girl who's been on TV my whole life, I love TV. I watch every show. I remember credits. I remember songs to shows more than sometimes I remember the show. And I said, guys, these credits are important. They set the tone in a weird way. And yeah, that kind of tells you the tone right there. But you're so right about the tone of the show and how to straddle those lines in any project, especially when you're dealing with comedy, anything comedic, anything lighthearted can throw off an audience's emotional investment in the seriousness of whatever the story is. And you guys pull it off so fucking well. And it's you, Kaylee. Thank you. Because in the pilot, in your first episode, when you have discovered the body, you're acting. I mean, thank you. I was thinking like, fuck, you must have been raw those days. Did you feel raw? I mean, there's a lot of coverage. There's a lot. There's a lot. Like on your last thread. Yeah. <laughs> there was. When I started reading the early scripts and we were starting to kind of form this, I don't know about you. I'm not a big preparer, especially in sitcom. Not that it comes easy to me. I'm a little off the cuff. People laugh at me. I never have a script in my hand. I kind of circle the airport when it comes to dialogue. I'm just kind of there in the moment. And so when I started to read these scripts, and Susanna Fogel directed our first two episodes, and I met with her obviously a ton. And at one point, I looked at her and I started panicking. I was like, okay, should I be looking at this differently? Like, this is so dramatic and she's so torn apart. And then also we're dealing with her alcoholism and like, that's not funny, but also, you know, that's a big deal too. I said, do I need to change my process? Do I need to get an acting coach? Do I need to be like thinking of a backstory? Like I started to spiral And she said, why would you change anything, any of your process that got you to this point in your career? And that was so freeing for me. And in that moment, I was like, this is how I'm going to do it. You're right. People might think I'm crazy or they might look at me on set and be like, is she ready for this? Like, I'm doing it the way that I need to do it. And I just would kind of roll in and I was very in the moment, especially in those scenes. And then the next minute I would be hysterical on the floor doing these scenes and the crew's all quiet and it's, you know, quiet set. We've got this really serious scene. And then I would immediately snap out of it and be laughing and walk off the set and forget anything that I did. It was really just left there. I don't bring anything home. I'm not that kind of actor, I say with quotes. That's just not how I work. I'm with you. I've never used an acting coach. I studied acting in college, and then I thought, like, I'm not good enough for this. (laughs) I know. You're crazy. (laughs) You're crazy. (laughs) But I think that for me, though, like, I feel like I'm easily influenced, or at least I feel like I don't know best, like, at any given moment of the day. Okay. So I know that if I worked with an acting coach, I would be questioning all of my instincts, and then I would go into, like, a whole, I think, disruptive mind process. Yes. Or I'm lazy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree with you. Look, there are some wonderful coaches out there. I have friends who love acting class, and they go. I think some coaches like to put their spin on things, so that I worry that they were going to be too much of an influence on what makes me me. Not every coach. I know there are wonderful coaches out there that have helped very big actors to this day, but I didn't think that that was something I wanted to do. I needed it to be my weird spin without any other opinion in there, which is also very narcissistic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't need help. I need to do it my way. But Kaylee, it fucking works. Thank you. And you approach the scenes with that kind of confident vulnerability. Thank you. Can I ask you a series of life questions, Kaylee? Yes, go for it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> okay, what was your first boss like? My first boss. So I never had an actual job outside of being an actor. So I guess my first boss would have been my first show and my first showrunner. Back in the day, I did a show when I was 13, 14. It was called Ladies' Man, and it was with Betty White, played my grandmother, and Sharon Lawrence played my mom. It was a crazy cast. The show didn't do very well. Alfred Molina was my dad. And I guess my boss was my first showrunner on that show. But I never had a job outside of the business. Isn't that weird? I don't know. I've had jobs like I was a waitress at a retirement home for a summer. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Five twenty-five an hour. Stop. No tips. No, stop. Oh, my God. Yeah, baby. Wow. But you grew up in Southern California, right? In Camarillo? Yes. Yes. I've been out here my whole life. So would your mom or dad, like how did auditioning work? Did you drive into town? Yes. And we actually lived, when I was really young, even farther, we lived like deep in Ventura County. And I remember after school, there was always an audition or something. And my mom would pick me up and I would do my homework in the car and we'd go to these auditions. And I remember there were certain restaurants we always ate at because it was like a whole day and night. I mean, you know how long it takes to <laughs> get into LA from that far. Yeah. They drove me, I mean, everywhere, day after day after day. And I loved it or I'd get to get picked up early from school and they'd drive me to my auditions. And I have a very clear memory of that when I was very, very, very young. What do you think? I think as a teenager, what was your relationship with rejection at that time? You know, it's interesting. I didn't just audition. I wasn't just acting. I had all these things I loved doing. You know, I played sports and I went to like these art classes and I went to camps and I had all these great friends. And so especially I played tennis. I played nationally all over the country when I was younger. That's amazing. Yeah. But I think the best part about that, aside from the actual tennis, was the travel and my friends. And so my point in saying that is if I maybe didn't get a job or because as we all know, there's way more rejection than acceptance in this business. I had all these other things. I was never like all eggs in one basket, which was very important to my parents. I had multiple things. And then as I got 14, 15, 16, I got my first horse and I started riding. So I had all these things that I loved and I never felt too down in the dumps about anything. Like I could really move on. Probably sometimes it's too fast and I don't really sit in it, but I, and I'll tell my friends like, guy, or cut that person out or that's not a healthy relationship. Like I can just... <laughs> I think I can too. Yeah. But it takes me a while for the seedling of that idea to make its way into my frontal lobe to actually make the decision. And then when you do, you cut. Yeah. Like I've been in relationships for way too long. And then it feels like there's that one morning when I wake up and it's like, oh, this should be over. Done. And then it is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I do feel like in hindsight, those decisions, they lingered too long in my subconscious. I hear you. You know, But being able to cut is hard in general. And I think I'm actually too good at it. I think sometimes it hinders me in other ways and is great for me in some ways. So my problem is I don't know the word balance. It's like, that's what I've been struggling with my whole life is the gray area. It's all black and white with me, which is good for things. And it's also hard in other ways. So that's a lifelong challenge that I really need to kind of like meet head on. I remember when I did a lot of like theater in Seattle growing up. And then I started auditioning for regional commercials. There wasn't much like film work in any way in Seattle. So I would audition, you know, when I was 15 for like a yogurt commercial or something like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But I always felt when I was rejected, it's not that I really wanted to be in a yogurt commercial, <laughs> but <laughs> I was a really awkward looking kid. So I felt like I was surrounded by really attractive young girls that are auditioning to because they're actresses. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So I always felt like I did not get that role because I was simply not attractive enough or not cute enough. Oh, my gosh. In Which was true. I mean, I wasn't really. <laughs> I can't. 
tell you, I had headgear, Kaylee. I was. I had headgear too, but were you wearing them to auditions? No, no. I, okay, I, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I had headgear too. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Oh God. It's like I knew my parents were trying to keep me a virgin forever. The headgear will do it. Oh my God. <laughs> but I think that that was difficult growing up. But I guess when I eventually did get roles, it made me think that I got them for being good. I was talking about this with another actor the other day. I don't love auditioning necessarily, but I do love winning a job through an audition. Yeah. It feels good, doesn't it? It really feels good. The validation of, okay, my work that I'm presenting is good enough as opposed to on the day with a job that's been offered— my anxiety is different because it's like, okay, are we seeing the same thing for this character? You know, I feel the same way about that. After I shot Flight Attendant, I went to Canada to shoot a Kevin Hart film, Man from Toronto. My point in this story is I put my ass on tape for that when I was shooting Flight Attendant in the women's restroom with my iPad and my sister on shoeboxes, put the iPad up and self-taped with my sister reading for me because I wanted that role so bad. Fuck yeah, Kaylee. Yeah, I was literally in between scenes on flight attendant. (laughs) I like telling that story because I think they just assume you get to a certain point. It is not like that. It is not. Like certain things maybe, but they're not just handing out these roles anymore. Like it's not that way, man. You got to work for it. And there's a lot of good actors, not just you, you know? It's tough out there. I don't care who you are. I think I remember during a press junket for like one of the scary movies being asked for the first time, and maybe I've only been asked a few times, the question, what drew you to this project? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, uh, uh, I wasn't, uh, like, I... (laughs) What drew me? uh, The phone call that they would audition me? That drew me. Yeah. (laughs) I hear that a lot too, yeah. And you're right. I think right around when I did House Bunny, that was when I really realized, oh, fuck, if I want to continue acting, I have to be involved. Yes. I have to start hustling in a different way than just running around auditioning. It's true. It doesn't matter who you are. It's really wild. Like, I think people thought coming off Big Bang, which was such a big deal, that now your life is set. Like, to me, it was the opposite. I felt like the work actually starts now. I've been in the business for 30 30 years, 30. And I feel like my career is just starting. I don't feel like it's smooth sailing. And I don't feel like, oh, this is, I'll get whatever I want. Like, I don't look at things like that at all. And if anything, I feel like I'm working harder than I ever have and getting the benefits from that. But I know it's not just from being complacent. You can't be like that. Completely. Okay. What is your favorite rainy day movie? Oh, my goodness. It actually rained here recently, and we watched Sleepless in Seattle, and it made me so happy. I love that movie, and I love Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks together, and I will watch them together forever. (laughs) I love them together. I went on this Meg Ryan kind of fanatic where I watched all her movies over a week. I think it was just to look at the hair and the clothes, but I was really, really into that for a second. I haven't seen that movie in years, but I do love it. It's so cute. Oh, my God. It's so cute. Okay. So when have you thrown caution to the wind? I don't know if I could answer this very well. I would say every time I get on my horse or go to a horse show, which to me is really, truly throwing caution in the wind. I mean, you've just you and that animal. When I'm working as an actor, I don't get nervous. It feels like that's what my soul is supposed to be doing. But when I ride and go into the show ring and I'm literally ready to throw up and my heart is pounding, you could see it pounding through my shirt. There's something about it that is so terrifying and freeing and powerful. Like it doesn't come easy to me the way maybe my work is a little bit different and riding and learning that and learning the horse is such a challenge for me. I think that to me would be throwing caution to the wind. Does the horse feel your anxiety? How does that work? Yes, 100%. Yes, yes, yes. The thing is riding also calms me down, but there is a major, I mean, that energy, you're connected, your legs are, you know, wrapped around this horse and If you've got a high-end energy, that is going to seep down on them. That's what I love about watching my husband ride. He's so even-keeled 99% of the time in life. You see all his horses are exactly the same. Like, they are so calm and huge and strong. But there is such a sense of calmness that he brings to them, and I guess they bring to him. So it's really a special bond. I just read this quote by Tina Brown 
It was in reference to Camilla Parker Bowles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she wrote a while back, women who love horses usually love sex. Because <laughs> we ride? I guess so. <laughs> but I was wondering if you agree. I love horses. I do love sex. I, <laughs> I don't know how to ride very well. Maybe I'm not the best lover. <laughs> but the love is there. I guess they go maybe a little hand in hand. I mean, I definitely like both. And you're with just that one person or that horse. It's such an emotional, sensitive time. And I don't know. It's very special. I'm talking about riding. Sex is great too. But riding with that connection with that horse, man. Carl would say the same, by the way. He would totally say the same. Because he's an equestrian. Yes. I read that. He's a beautiful rider. Are you comfortable talking about how you guys met? Yeah, sure. We met at a horse show. He's a very, very good rider, and he's very well-known in that sport and does very well. And I had followed his riding career for a while, and I saw him ride. So, my God, that was amazing. He was very shy. We got introduced by somebody else, and then that was it. And he was very awkward, almost to the point of, like, I thought something was wrong with him. Like, he wouldn't really look at me in the eye. I said, maybe he's just shy, I don't know. And then like a couple hours later, he showed up. So it's really interesting going to these horse shows, which make it so fun. It's like a traveling circus. So all your barns are like in a big area together. It's really fun. And the point of it, you ride all day and then you have a beer around the fireplace or the campfire and you're kind of around all the other barns. So there's hundreds of different barns. And so his was near mine. And in that evening, we were all cleaning up, getting ready to be done for the day. And he came over to ask to say hi to me again. And it was very cute. And he said, can I take you to dinner? And I was like shocked because he was so shy when I met him. And that was five years ago. Kaylee, I love that. (laughs) We kept going to dinner. I was cute. It was really cute. Yeah. He's such a different person now. Well, I guess we both are. I guess in a relationship, you would hope that you grow. But he's so not that shy person anymore. He's really opened up. It's really sweet. In our world, we're surrounded by a lot of volume. Oh, yeah. And just men (laughs) wanting to like take over and be in it. And that is so not his energy. So. All right. Back to questions. On what occasion do you lie? I'm really not a liar. I'm the worst actor in real life. Like with gifts and stuff, I can't keep it a secret. I am the worst. But I do lie to make people feel good. I don't like hurting people's feelings or embarrassing them. So if I feel like something will, I will definitely tweak it to not do that. (laughs) I am so with you. I get very uncomfortable playing poker. I hate tricking people. (laughs) I don't love surprises. And I don't love to be the deliverer of surprises. It's weird, right? I'm the same way. Uh, Years ago, I was at a meeting with Sasha Baron Cohen's producer. And then later on, I ended up doing a movie with him. But they wanted me to be a part of a show that they were developing where I would have to interact with strangers as a character, you know, like how he does. Yes. And my heart was just gripped with fear. (laughs) That is just not a part of my skill set. I can't do it. It would be hard to do. I know we'd probably come clean immediately, right? Oh, I would cry. I would be like, I am so sorry. There was talks a while ago of me doing, you know, that show where celebrities, is it called like, I know who you are, or I think I know you or something where the celebrity kind of goes undercover or does something. We had talks for me to do it. And I said, guys, I don't think I could do it. I would laugh. I would be awkward. I'd be like, oh, by the way, it's me. It is me. I I don't think I could do it. I would feel like our voices, everything would be a betrayal. Yes. And Kaylee, I'm so with you. All right. What is a trait you dislike in others? I think taking yourself too seriously, I think we get a lot of that in this business. Maybe I'm too far the other way, but I like self-deprecation. I like making people laugh and not taking yourself too seriously. And I think we do get caught up in that in the business that we're in. It's sometimes hard to kind of let yourself just be a little bit normal and be a little bit silly and maybe not perfect on the Instagram and not, you know... Like, it's okay. And I think it's hard. Look, it's hard. We're in the public eye. I think a lot of people get caught up in that, but you don't always have to be so perfect. It feels necessary to be selling ourselves to some degree. Or like when I first moved to LA, I was really struck by interacting with people that I now kind of call self-describers. You know, like just casual conversations. People have mentioned that they're a really creative type or a very spiritual person. Right. (laughs) You're like, what? Yeah, like self-definition felt new to me. And then kind of realizing, all right, this is sort of how this town works. 
there is pressure to sell oneself. <laughs> Do you ever get asked, what's your brand? Oh, God. Like, I should have a written answer to that now because people do like to ask, but I'm like, that's a strange one, right? Yeah. What's your brand? What are you trying to say? I don't fucking know. Well, exactly. I'm like, I. it's right in front of you. There's no hidden agenda. If you know me or you've watched me, you probably know that's probably my brand. <laughs> Kaylee, what is a trait you dislike in yourself? I think going back to what we said earlier, my extremist ways of living. Like your extreme decisiveness, do you think? No, I like that. I think that's a good quality. I think my inability for finding the gray area, balance, is a tough one for me. I hate that. I wish I wasn't so black and white, hot and cold. It's always one or the other. And by the way, I'm like that when like eating or when I finish a job and I'm like, okay, screw it. Now I'm going to eat what I want. La, 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 and I feel like I go a little crazy, but it's all aspects. It's all or nothing. I need to be shooting 50 things or I'm taking a break and I don't want to talk to anybody for a month. Like I wish I could find a little bit of more in the middle, which like I said earlier, I am definitely working on. I think shooting a single camera project, it's very difficult because you are living an extreme lifestyle, working 13, 14 hours a day, and then suddenly the sudden emptiness of space. You nailed it on the head. That is like ding, ding, ding. And also it being everything really is revolving around you. And I realized even for months, I'd look at my phone and be like, I haven't checked in with any of my friends. Like your brain is so stuck in what you're doing. And it's not a selfish thing. And I have to be in this, you know, but it's like remembering what's going on outside and you get a little caught up and then you get home and you're like, what do I do now? It's very weird. I feel one of the qualities I dislike in myself is how neglectful I am of my friendships. And I've talked a lot about this. <laughs> and then it kind of bleeds over into having a kid. And it's not that it's laziness. Maybe it's a little bit of a lack of energy or not feeling like I can give energy to a relationship, especially when I've neglected it. Yeah, you probably feel like you need to give more and you would like to do the check-in, but you're like, I can't give all of it right now, so I'll do none of it, yep, right? 100%. I understand. Yeah, I understand that. And that's very honest of you. That's very real. I feel that too. All right. What was your first love like? A man I still know very well. I fell in love when I was 14, was with him till I was 17. I had to ask my parents to date him. His name was Lester Cook. And I married a Carl Cook, which is so weird. And my last name means Cook. So I feel like it, it was a really weird <laughs> full circle of cooks in my life. I was so in love with him. And he would probably say the same thing. I know him well now, actually. I know his wife, his family. He's wonderful. But I thought when that ended, which it ended because he was going to college, he's a couple years older than me, and I remember he broke up with me. And you know that young breakup? I thought I was going to die. Yeah. Like it was over. Life was done. There was no way I'd ever survive. I know that. Yep. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, my high school boyfriend, like I followed him to college and he broke up with me two weeks in. <gasps> it was a big square in the middle of these big buildings and it was raining and I just like threw myself <laughs> down on the ground and I had written a terrible poem. But then as I get older and I reflect upon that and how ridiculous it was, but also the intensities of emotion at that age. Oh, yeah. And also, he was such a mad <laughs> kind of person. <laughs> it always is, right? It had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with me. He could have been interchangeable as a person. Of course. Yeah. It's amazing how end of the world we think everything is at that age. I mean, I can still feel that heartbreak yeah. <laughs> this many years later. 
<laughs> okay. To whom would you most like to apologize and why? Wow. That's almost a heart-wrenching question. I'm sure I owe apologies to so many. Can we come back to that? I want to think about that for a second. Let me think about that. Totally. Totally. As I was thinking about that question the other day, I was thinking about how it was complicit. Yeah. In high school, in some of my friends making fun of a particular person. Oh, Mm-hmm. And there were a gazillion moments like that in my life, you know, like being a witness or a bystander, mm-hmm. you know, wishing that I was a stronger person. <sighs> anyway. Now that you've said that, actually, my best friend of my whole life, literally since we were born, and she's still my best friend to this day, my best friend Kate, we went to grade school together. And with what you just said, we were inseparable. So we were actually probably uncool, but the two of us thought we were so cool. And we were at school together. And like, it was the two of us in the corner eating lunch. There was no one else that hung out with us. But I have a feeling we were really not cool to some others at that age. So I'm sure some kids in school, we were not kind to, and we were so young But I think in our insecurity of probably thinking, you know, we weren't cool, we're trying to act so cool and keep people at a distance and not let anyone into our little circle. We could have been probably some mean girls at some point. And it's funny now, it's not funny to see all these stories now come to life of bullying and all that stuff. And it reminds me, I don't think we were bullies, but I do think there were some kids that we definitely owe some sorries to for sure. Have you gone to any of your reunions or anything? No, but she has. So she always has these stories. She's like, remember so-and-so, remember so-and-so. And And I'm like, oh my God, yes. I'm kind of living vicariously through her going kind of through that reunion stuff. But no, have you? That would really scare me. I went to my 20th and I hadn't kept in touch with anybody. I didn't didn't have that many friends in high school and I sort of got roped into going. I went and I had a nice time. It was fine. And I've talked about this before, but that like a few people would say like, oh, I remember you as really quiet. And that was such a relief to me because that's how I remembered myself in high school. Wow. Just like, get through this shit. This, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when did you start really working as an actor? You were in high school. You were in the real deal high school. Yeah. And I was doing theater in Seattle, like after school. Yeah. So that was my outlet. Yeah. School was just simply the chore that I had to do in the morning. Totally. And yeah, so then I went to college and I thought I couldn't succeed as an actor, but then I got cast in this horrible horror movie that came through. I was a local hire. I was a cheerleader that got gutted. Amazing. We've all been there. Yep. We've all done it. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And uh, then I decided to move to LA and Scary Movie was my first audition. Wow. I didn't know that. It was a whirlwind. I got the role before I moved and it was the loneliest time like that weekend after I got the role, I just thought that I was completely underqualified. And I was. I felt like there isn't anybody I can talk to that could advise me on anything. Like I didn't know anybody. I didn't have an agent. Because you didn't have any actor friends, really. No. Right. Wow. So it was thrilling, but terrifying. You know, Kunal from Big Bang Theory, who played Kuthar Pali, I believe that was his first audition was Big Bang, which is really unreal. First audition or first pilot audition. And I remember talking to him being like, "Uh, don't get used to that. That doesn't happen. Like, I just remember being like, what? Um, Yeah. And he said, yeah, it was like my first. I couldn't believe that. That's very similar to what you said. That's amazing. Well, having said that, though, I was rejected as a teenager for all kinds of work. There you go. Still, though, that's still amazing. That's an amazing story. I wanted to ask you how else you would make a living. I like that question because I have a good answer. Oh, good. Okay. I think I would be an event coordinator, party planner. What? Kaylee. I know. That's out of left field. I know. So I, for years, well, now not this past year with COVID, I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but I throw some epic parties, like really well thought out. And I have obviously help and event coordinators that help me, but I love the process of putting together an event for somebody and like really thinking of all the detail. I've done it for years, again, with plenty of help, but I really think I would do that. And then my second, which is another job I feel like I would have is music editing. I am obsessed with the music, adding music and sound to production. And I've only witnessed it for two seconds during Flight Attendant and being a little a part of it, but watching how that worked and also seeing how it affected our show. Once I was like, God, it's missing something. And then a minute later, they send me the song. I'm like, oh my God, you just changed the whole show. I am obsessed with music editing. I think it is the hidden thing that makes a show or movie actually work. <laughs> I'm so impressed by it. 
in the editing room because I've been in an editing room once and it was kind of perfunctory. You know, it was like, here's yeah. what we're doing. Right. Here's how we're patching your movie together. Right. And then it was like, bye. <laughs> so I've never been a part of the actual process. And I imagine it's like putting together, you know, a 5,000 piece puzzle. What they do in there is unreal. I mean, they really can make or break you and they can make a scene that maybe wasn't so great and put it all together and piece it together. And you're like, oh my God, how did you do that? And then adding the music and whatever tone you want to throw, they are the true heroes. I mean, I had zero appreciation for that before. I wish I knew more of that. I've lived my life with my head in the sand as a happy actor and woke up a year later, watched the project and find... But now I really know who <laughs> deserves the accolades, and it is the behind-the-scenes crew of people. Kaylee, I know you've been working, but during the whole pandemic, have you discovered anything odd about yourself? For me, <laughs> I've discovered that I like to puzzle. <laughs> oh, like actual puzzles. Yeah. And knitting. I've been knitting, Kaylee. Oh, my God. Which has also come out of left field for me. Knitting is great. I did that a long time ago. I did not get back into that during this quarantine. I was suggested to do it again, but I, how fun is knitting? You can really go down the knitting, I wanna show you. jump off the cliff, go into the knitting stores and buying all the stuff. Kaylee. Yes. I have to show you. Oh, that's what you're knitting right now. What are you making? Well, Kaylee, it's either going to be a cape for riding for you. <laughs> Don't you need a riding cape? It's got plenty of ventilation. Yes. By the way, that's not atrocious. I'm very impressed. Oh, you're sweet. I think if you saw it up close, you would disagree. But isn't it amazing how it passes the time, though? Knitting is really lovely. It's a nice pastime. I've come to the conclusion that something about those activities is calming a neuroses in me. Uh-huh or anxiety or something. And I wonder if other people are going through the same thing with this pandemic, or if you're experiencing a lot of anxiety at all. What saves me is our ranch and our horses and all the animals we have there. So I've been lucky during quarantine where a lot of people, they were in their house and we were able to obviously go to the farm and have that experience. So that made it feel like I really wasn't in a quarantine. I was very lucky because that's a full-time job too. I mean, going out there and playing with the bunnies and the goats and the minis and riding the horses. And that saved us through quarantine and uh, made me fall even more in love with kind of the ranch life, you know? Amazing. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever been given or worst? I think it was recently, and I think I already said it, but I'll say it again because it's relevant to me today, is Susanna Fogel telling me, why would you change anything, any of your process that got you to this point? You've been in this business for so long. Why in the world would you change it for this? And she was right. I think trust yourself. You did get to this point for a reason. Don't let anyone change you. Maybe someone else is doing it different and they're doing it great, but that works for them. So continue to do what works for you because it definitely worked for me. I love that. What lesson at an early age has stuck with you? Don't get complacent. I don't care who you are, what you've done. It doesn't matter. People don't care. They're only caring about what's in front of them and what's in front of you. And I think we just cannot get complacent. And I never have, even from a young age. I've never looked at myself as anything other than Kaylee and having a career or a job that I love. And that's as far as it goes for me. And all the other stuff is really icing on top of the cake. It's a constant effort for me. You cannot get complacent ever unless you're done, which is never for me. Yes. What's your relationship like with fame? I don't really have one with it. I don't live like that. I don't look at life like that. I don't care where I go. I'm not hiding. I'm not trying to look a certain way for anybody. Uh, you look at my Instagram, it's what you see is what you get. There's nothing posed or fake. I'm an actor and I love pretending to be other people, but I also love my own life. And I forget that I am anyone. My husband always says it best. He's like, you don't blend well. You don't notice people looking at you. I've never noticed. I have never felt any different today than I did 20 years ago. And I really, really genuinely mean that. I so believe that about you. How do you feel about it? Well, I think in general, I am agoraphobic feels too extreme. I hear you though. But I like to lay low. I always have. I think in my early 20s, there was a headiness. Like I had 
maybe two years where it felt intoxicating. And I recognized that it was frivolous, nonsensical sense of self-importance. But I remember feeling twinges of that head rush of like, oh my God. I also remember feeling a degree of shame about feeling that headiness at least the feeling of like, oh, fuck, is this the poison that turns people into fucking assholes? I think it's interesting (laughs) that you, I didn't know that that was basically kind of your first job to get catapulted in such a huge film so fast. Like that's so different than me. Whereas I truly feel like I grew up on camera. So I feel like there wasn't ever a moment where I shot out the cannon. I've been working for so long and almost the kind of I'm saying quotes with this fame, celebrity, whatever, has grown with me. So there was not a moment of, holy shit, what just happened? It just kind of grew and Big Bang kind of grew. Like it just weirdly happened. There was no moment. Yeah. Yeah. And the slide almost into like. Yeah. And now I think at 44, those feelings are kind of long gone. The feelings of like any kind of headiness and like relationship with fame. It's not smacking me in the face in any way. No, exactly. Same. But I feel like now you've been in it for so long. It's similar to me too. Like, even though it happened to us very differently, I don't see you thinking any other way than just who you are. That's why people love you though. That's why you're so approachable and you're so down to earth. That's all people care about. Like, we're not, you know, changing the world. We're entertaining people. And that's what I love to do. And if you make someone laugh one night and they watch a show or they got excited for an episode of Flight Attendant, oh my God, this is so fun. Like, that's great. That's my job. And that's what I love doing. What's a skill that you would love to acquire? I am learning how to cook. I love to cook. I enjoy it. I don't think I'm a great cook, but I have been learning and my husband is very good at it. And over quarantine, I've cooked a lot. And I would like to continue. That makes me happy to serve people food and to like give people like something you made. Because my husband cooks so well and you could taste the love. It's just filled with love. And so I want to continue to cook. I love to cook. I'm not that great. I'm okay. I give myself like a B. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. But everything is filled with love. (laughs) To feed somebody and like be like, I made this for you. There's something so cool about it. And to see them smile and be like, oh my God. Like I'm not a baker. That's like totally different. We moved in this amazing neighborhood. I have all these amazing neighbors. And over the holidays, they've been like (laughs) gifting, like dropping cookies off. Like it's so sweet. It's a way to connect with people. And it's very sweet. I'm not a baker, but I think it's lovely. Kaylee, how would you like to be remembered? I would like to be remembered as down to earth horse girl. When they think of me, I want you to think of a girl that loves animals and that loves to entertain and um, that has been the same person since the beginning. I would hope to be remembered that she didn't change because I don't feel like I have, but you never know what people think of you. So I would hope people think that I haven't changed and that I'm the same. Kaylee, will you take me riding someday? I know I'm really (laughs) putting you on the spot. You are not on the spot. In fact, it's the greatest place to go right now because you're outside and yes, 100% yes. Kaylee, I can't thank you enough. I just admire you so much. Thank you. Your talent and your producing ability, it's just incredibly impressive. Your show is so fucking good. Thank you. I feel the same way about you, honey. You have been the same person since the day I met you. Nothing has changed. I mean that in the nicest way. You are still that girl next door, which is who I hope to be too. And I just love you. And I always, always will. Kaylee, I love you. All right. I love you too. And let's catch up properly. Yes, absolutely. We'll see the horses. I love you, girl. And thank you for having me on here. It means a lot. I love you too. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye, honey. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everyone. World-renowned clinical sexologist Dr. Patty Britton is back with her wisdom, insight, and answers to the questions we're all too afraid to ask. For more on Dr. Patty and our other experts, you can find links on our website, unqualified.com. Hi, Dr. Patty. Hi. Thanks so much for doing this again. My pleasure. All right, let's call Jessica. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I am here, Jessica, with Dr. Patty Britton. She is a clinical sexologist, and she's a sex educator and sex coach, and she's brilliant. So, Jessica, would you tell us what's going on? Uh, My fiancé and I, we've been together for two years, and since the very beginning, one of the things he's really brought up a lot is wanting to have a threesome. And we discussed it, and I thought really hard on it, and I realized, like, it was something I was not okay with. I did not like the idea of sharing him with another woman. Um, But the problem is he keeps bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. And I just don't know how to get through to him that it's not something that I really want to do. So I don't know how to do that. And then also the third person that he really wants to have is someone that he had previously hooked up with. Uh, That probably doesn't feel great. Uh-huh. I guess I just wanted some advice on how to go about getting him to drop the topic. Is this other person still in your lives? I don't think so. Before we met, he was, <laughs> I tease him and I call him a Tinder whore because he was really just into hooking up. And it was one of the people that he had hooked up with a few times before he and I had met. Like, I've never spoken to her. I've never met her personally. And I don't think that he really has any contact with her still other than I think she had either texted and reached out to him. From what he says, he was not the one pursuing it. It was her that had brought it up to him. Oh, so hi, this is Dr. Patty. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) It's great to meet you. You too. This brings up a lot of questions for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely kind of dramatic sounding. (laughs) Well, it's not just that, but it feels like a pressure cooker for you. And you know, a relationship has to have flow. It has to have a little bit of Mm -hmm. excitement, which sometimes looks like drama or stress or pressure in order to keep it Mm -hmm. exciting. But there's something about the sense of pressure and that's not a comfortable place to be. And I wonder why does he want this? That's my primary question. Have you asked him like, why? What's going on that you really feel like you need this in some way? I mean, we've talked extensively about it. He's always told me, I guess he'd had one back in his younger years, but I think it was just with two kind of random girls that he didn't really know that well. And he told me that he'd never had one with someone he loved, which to me just kind of sounds like a blow off answer. But I guess it's just a fantasy of his and it's just something he's always wanted to do. He's even brought up, you know, possibly being male, male, female which I don't really think I want to do that too, because I think afterwards there's going to be some resentment. I just don't think it's a good thing for our relationship. Jessica, I'm the kind of person in like in the past, Mm -hmm. like the idea of a threesome has, I don't think I ever had sort of the pressure that maybe you have, but when the idea has been brought up, I feel like I'm the kind of person which I have too much emotional connection to my sex and knowing myself I would linger on the memories too much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely the same way. I've told him that before too. And his thing, he says, you know, it's, it's just that it's just sex. And I tell him it's not, I think it's more the female thing. It's, it is, it's definitely more emotion than just the act. Completely. Well, there's a connection that you have with somebody. It might be a connection mm-hmm. for 22 minutes and that's it, but it is a connection and it's emotional and it's intimate because sex is intimate in terms of 
somebody puts a part of their body in your body, if you think about it that way, right? Right. <laughs> but I can't help myself because I am a sex doctor. So I have a lot of questions about the why. Like what's really motivating him? Do you feel, and this is a feeling because it doesn't sound like he's actually told you, but do you feel like there's something missing for him? Or is it that maybe he watches a lot of porn? Do you have a sense about that? He definitely does. He watches a lot of porn. I think he may be onto something with that because he will. He'll send me videos of different things that he wants to try. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's, I don't know, about something missing, maybe. That's the question that I would want you to talk to him about. Like, is there something that we're not having, that we're not doing, that you're not getting from sex with me alone, that you're wanting to add in another person? And maybe there's a way to create fantasy talk. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a way to look at porn together. I mean, I'm not against porn. I actually once was an advocate for porn a long time ago. I was in a speaker's mm -hmm. bureau as a pro-porn <laughs> feminist. So, I mean, porn's not a bad thing. It's just when porn pushes you to look at what is really entertainment as reality. That makes sense. Right? That's the problem. It's like, it's there to arouse you. It's not there to give you examples of what you want to do, necessarily. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and men are really affected by porn. They see it and they want it. That's what happens, <laughs> Yeah, right? definitely. Maybe you could have that conversation with him. Yeah, definitely. That does give me a, a good place to start. But, okay, Patty, this is like my conservative weird side. <laughs> And it's not necessarily related to Jessica, but I wonder if like too much porn, I mean, maybe this is a whole other topic, right? The idea of how porn can be distancing too, at least in the past, when I've been in a relationship with somebody who watches a lot of porn, enjoys a lot of porn, maybe I was overly sensitive, but it made me feel a little left out and vulnerable. I don't know if that's like, in, like I said, Dr. Patty, this could be a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, it is a complicated conversation because there's nothing wrong with porn. It's how you use porn, how much you use porn. And if somebody is depending on porn to turn on, or that's like how they spend a lot of their sex energy, that can be a problem if you're in a relationship with a real live human being. <laughs> <laughs> and it can be a takeaway from the juiciness of your own relationship. That's why there are a couple of things that I often say to my clients. One is watch porn together. Because if it's arousing for both of you, why not? Why not get off together right. watching it, right? Do you like porn? Uh, yeah, and we do. I mean, we'll watch it together. One thing that kind of popped in my head when you were saying all this, that I really think you're on to something with using it too much. Because mm -hmm. one thing, uh, we don't live together. We're in the process of buying a house. We see each other three to four times a week. Um, but one thing that has been going on since the beginning of our relationship, I alone... I can't get him off. Ah, uh, okay. And I think it's just from where he, when he takes care of himself, I guess, he, you know, is watching porn and we'll have sex. I will climax and then he, for lack of a better term, takes care of himself. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that I, I guess I want to suggest to you, and this is going to be tricky and I'm not sure he's going to go along with it, is what I would call a porn fast. Mm. So get off porn, try it out for three days or just a day mm -hmm. even, <laughs> or an hour. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> but imagine, you know, going on a fast and not watching or consuming any porn. And what will happen is it will change your relationships sexually and maybe in other ways as well. Again, I don't want to make porn the enemy. It's not the enemy. It's how you manage it. Right. But I think what I'm getting is that it's kind of hijacking him away from you, even though he loves you and he lusts you, which is all great. Mm -hmm. But there's almost another woman in the room already. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> yeah, I can sense that. So have a conversation with him about, hey, honey, let's take a little break. Let's go on a vacation from porn yeah. and let's see what we can do together. Because if he's 
uh, well, there are many expressions we could use. Like if he's finishing (laughs) off himself, what's happening is that he's taking you out of that equation. So he's also not intentionally, but he's taking away the chance for more intimacy in your relationship. Mm-hmm. And I hear you're not in a temporary relationship. You're about to buy a house together. Right. That is really serious. It is. So you got to fix this stuff. Yeah. Jessica, when you guys do see each other, do you have sex pretty frequently or as much as you want to? Oh yeah, definitely. I think other than this whole thing, I think we have a very healthy sex life. Do you guys play with like toys? We do use toys. We've tried role-playing. It's it's hard to stay in character. I guess it's just something you have to get good at. But but even if you add that in, there's something going on regarding the porn and the time he's spending. And what he's being programmed to watch is affecting mm-hmm. what he wants with you. And I want to come back to the pressure you feel. You don't ever have to say yes to something you don't want to do. Right. So that's a really, really important piece of information for you to take into your heart because you're 50% of this relationship and what you want matters. Mm -hmm. So unless there's a part of you that goes, hmm, that might feel interesting. I'm kind of open to that. (laughs) If there isn't that part of you, then maybe this becomes a hard line boundary for you. You know what I mean by that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Not a wavy line. I mean, you're very smart, I can tell. So (laughs) you're taking all this in. Oh, definitely, yeah. But this is not something to take lightly. When you introduce another person into your relationship, into your bed, into your sex play, it does change things in the relationship, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. So you have to be really careful when you go into that territory. Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. And... I've gone back and forth on it. And I think all the times that I have considered it, I, and I hate myself for it, but I think it's just, you know, like trying to appease him. And I don't, yes, I don't want it to be that. I don't want it to be just for him. I would hate myself afterwards. Well, it's also going to turn into resentment and then you're going to start shutting down and then sex is going to go away and that's not going to be good. Yeah. Not for this relationship. Dr. Patty, is there a way they can learn to, you know, finish together? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know, for some guys, it's really tough to be able to let go when they've habituated. That's the word. You know, they've made it a habit of getting themselves off, especially if they watch porn and they do it frequently. Again, porn's not the problem. It's how you manage porn. So I think that if you go on a little vacation from porn together, and you try to experience what's it like without his being habituated to porn. First of all, you can ask him, this may sound really weird. You can ask him, show me how you do it and literally study how he does it. Yeah. How does he move his hand? Does he squeeze? Does he blah, 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 all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. And then while you are studying it, you then get to repeat how he does him. Because a lot of guys have very unique or special techniques. I mean, really, you have no idea how complicated. Well, maybe you do have an idea how complicated it can get. And every guy is different. Every one of us is different. So ask how he does it so you can do it the same way and then have him coach you. So you can help him. There's no magic to having him come inside of your body. What's magical is sharing the experience. Mm -hmm. And that's where the connection happens. So when you break the connection and he turns over and gets himself off and you're like, da 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 I'm waiting. Are you done yet? <laughs> right. That breaks the connection. And sex is about an energetic connection. And you have love. Lucky you. The two of you love each other. So this isn't just sex. Mm-hmm. He's coming out of this attitude of, well, that was just sex. And I want to have more of the just sex in this loving relationship. And there's a lot of talk that needs to happen. And I think a break from porn that needs to happen, that's going to really save you from going down a rabbit hole. You don't want to go down. Yeah. Oh, I get what you're saying. Definitely. Jessica, my first lover like the guy I lost my virginity to, he couldn't come in me, but he didn't tell me. And I had no idea because I had lost my virginity to him. Right. But when I did find out, because he would go to the bathroom and finish himself, 
Wow. Yeah. And I was really hurt. You know, I mean, he was the only person I had been with. I had no idea what I was doing wrong. But I, I imagine, Jessica, if it's happened to us, I mean, it's got a, a Dr. Patty, it happens to a lot of people, right? Absolutely. It's so common. But I think what's important, and I love what you're saying on, is that don't get hung up in, he's supposed to come inside me. Don't get hung up in that. There are men who just can't release that way. Right. And so if he's one of those guys, he may be, he may not be. I have a feeling that if he gets off porn and he spends less time with himself and more with you, yeah. things are going to shift dramatically. That's what I'm hoping for you. But Dr. Petty, because they're not living together, this might be something difficult to take on right now. It might be easier when they're together to do like the, you know, a, a porn fest. Yeah, porn fast. I disagree. Okay, I like that. I think you need to get to it right away because you're feeling an increasing pressure on you. Mm -hmm. And three times a week, maybe you'll make it four times a week. You know, it, he's he's not going to die <laughs> if he doesn't watch porn and masturbate. Right. And what he's going to do is he's going to have more desire for you. Yeah, And he's going to have more sexual drive and more energy to bring to the party with you. Yeah, that makes sense. And I would say as soon as we, you know, get off this call, it's time to really think about, do we want to have a glass of wine tonight or, you know, snuggle, whatever it is that you do to connect. And mm -hmm. we need to have a chat about this. Yeah. From a loving place. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And I appreciate it because... I guess I think I knew what needed to be done, but I didn't know what direction to come from. So it's definitely yeah. given me a lot of insight into how to bring it up and where to go. Good. Jessica, do you think he'll be responsive to this idea? I think he will. I think the issue will be his willpower Yeah. as far as giving up porn, but we'll see. Hopefully he'll be receptive to it and be willing to try. I like the idea, if Dr. Patty is okay with it, that at some point you guys can make your own porn. Like maybe he can film you. That's pretty erotic. Yeah, I, we've done that to some extent in the past. And it has. It's been fun. You know, then you're able to go back and watch yourselves, not other people. But yeah, I like the thought of that. But I think with Dr. Patty, what you probably are trying to emphasize is to maybe address this before you replace like another sexual fantasy with replacing porn. Is that right, Dr. Patty? I think the fantasy is great, but... Jessica, you've made it clear it's not something you want to act on. Definitely. So unless it's something you want to act on, it lives in the realm of fantasy. Yeah. And it also is important to me. And I'm just, you know, I, I work very intuitively and empathically and I'm feeling you and I'm feeling the urgency before you move in together, before you buy a house together. You got to clear this up. Yeah, definitely. Sooner, better than later. Yeah. Oh, Jessica, I hope that we helped. And it sounds like you are handling this really well. It has helped tremendously just knowing, I guess, where it's coming from and, and how to approach him about it. Yeah. The thing with the threesome, too, I just don't know if those memories leave you, you know? Oh, I... I wouldn't think they would. I know how my mind operates. And I would probably every time we tried to have sex, I would be thinking about that. Yeah. Hey, Jessica, thank you so much for sharing and calling. Yeah. I know Dr. Patty helped. Oh, definitely. You, you both helped more than you'll ever know. Oh, I appreciate oh it so good. Much. Yeah. I really appreciate how you've gone into something so personal and intimate with us because I really care about you and I want you to honor you first. That's what it's really about. Yeah. No guilt, no pressure. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling. And I hope that you and your fiance have a great winter as you oh, move in together. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. Bye, sweetie. Oh, yeah. Bye. Great to talk to you. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye, too. Jessica. Bye. Thank you. Dr. Patty, your help is invaluable. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>